This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on CityCast Philly, it's the Friday News Roundup. We're talking about overcrowding at Philly's juvenile jail. Which artist was selected to design Philly's new Harriet Tubman statue? And why two local ice cream shops are closing? It's Friday, November 3rd. I'm Trina Nuri, and here's what Philly's talking about. Joining me this week is Ellie Rushing, criminal justice and law enforcement reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Ellie. Hey, good morning. Good morning. And Conrad Benner, founder of local arts blog, Streets Department. And we got to say it, host of an upcoming new WHYY podcast, Art Outside. Hey, Conrad. Good morning. Congrats on the new podcast. I know. I'm so excited. Ah. We're in the universe (laughs) of podcasts in Philadelphia. (laughs) When should we expect to hear it? It should be launching on November 21st, and we should be announcing it with a teaser next Friday on the 10th, so a week from today. But, you know, those dates might change if, if things happen, but it seems they seem set in. Yeah. Yeah, we all, we know about things happening. Uh, <laughs> well, the, world, the world is a mystery. <laughs> right. All right. Let's get into some of the news of this week. Ellie, you've been reporting that the city asked a judge to hold the state in contempt of court for not addressing the overcrowding in the city's juvenile jail. Ellie, what are the conditions like in the jail? The conditions inside the city's juvenile jail have been quite grim for some time now. Um, Over a year at least, there have been more children inside the jail than it is licensed to hold. The The jail is licensed to hold 184 people, and right now there are about 215 kids inside. Over the summer, there were upwards of 230. Wow. Um, And so what that looks like are children sleeping on mattresses on the floor, on mattresses placed on small benches, in rooms with sometimes no windows, sometimes uh, sleeping in the admission center of uh, the jail where the lights are left on 24 hours a day. Um, Over the summer, there were reports that kids were getting into more fights. They were building makeshift weapons to protect themselves. They're getting little to no schooling, little to no programming, very few family visits. Uh, The city has described this as a crisis that's causing great harm to the children inside. Wow, this is so disturbing. Ellie, what's been the response from the Pennsylvania's Department of Human Services? So the, the issue is complicated. And... It's basically resulted in the state and the city pointing fingers at one another for more than a year now. Last October, the city sued the state to try to force a judge to make the state take action um, and reduce the population. And and the judge has done that twice. Uh, She's ordered the state to take custody of maybe a few dozen kids at a time. Um, But advocates have said that this is basically a Band-Aid that the state and the city need to come up with a longer term solution so that a judge doesn't have to be the one, you know, to reduce the population at 
you know, various points in time. Um, mm-hmm. It might be helpful if I like set the scene a little bit for like the facility. Right. Uh, the facility is meant to hold juveniles between the ages of 10 and 17, mostly um, who've been arrested for various crimes. Um, some are more violent offenses. You know, some have been accused of shooting someone or for carrying a gun or getting uh, into a serious fight at school, while others are in there for more technical violations on probation, um, things like that. But they're, they're basically they're either waiting for their cases to be heard or they have been adjudicated delinquent, which is the juvenile version of being convicted. And they're waiting to be placed in a longer term facility to serve out their sentences that a judge gives them. So essentially, there's like a, a backlog of cases and, and and children have been just stuck. Exactly. Because typically after a judge sentences a young person, it would take about maybe no, no more than like 40 days for them to be placed in a facility to serve that out. But that time between placement has ballooned to as much as six months now for some young people. Youth Inside do not receive credit for time served. Uh, for the time that they're spending in the city jail, it only counts for the time that they are in their s- state placement. Wow. And so it can sometimes double the time that they're spending incarcerated. There's a few reasons why. One is that the city used to contract with a number of private agencies. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of Glenn Mills or Devereaux, but m- I think almost all of those have closed because of abuse scandals. The children inside were being abused by staff. And so now the only placement options left for kids to serve out their sentences uh, lie with the state. Uh, So the state's position is that their facilities are already at capacity and they feel that it's unfair to prioritize Philadelphia youth when they're youth in counties across the state that are also waiting for placement. They also believe that the city could be doing more to coordinate with their own agencies like the juvenile judges, the district attorney's office, probation uh, office, to reduce the number of kids inside the jail who maybe, you know, don't, you know, quote, necessarily need to be there, who could maybe serve out the, their sentences or um, who are maybe in there for technical violations, uh, they could use more community-based programming to, you know, serve their time or whatnot. Got you. So it really is, like you said, a lot of finger pointing with this issue. Ellie, how is this all impacting the kids? So it's important to keep in mind that the kids inside this facility are already some of Philadelphia's most troubled and vulnerable youth. They have behavioral issues. Many have untreated trauma and mental health issues. And so advocates say that they're not only not coming out rehabilitated after their time inside these facilities, but they're sometimes coming out in worse shape. They're maybe angrier. They have fewer social skills than before. They have less drive to better themselves than before. And one huge factor is that they're not really getting school inside these facilities. They're not getting programming. And so when advocates say when they come out, they're less likely to return to school. They're less likely to get involved with any programming that will help them. And so ultimately, they believe that this is a public safety issue. Now, Ellie, could conditions inside of Philly's juvenile jail improve anytime soon? I, it's a difficult question. I think that, uh, you know, some advocates have said they feel like the the judge on the case could take stronger action to make the state do more to move kids faster. Like one uh, solution could be 
to make the state increase the staff to youth ratio inside so that they can take more. The state has said that it'd be unsafe for them to take more uh, kids. But, uh, you know, advocates say that, well, Philly's Philly Center is operating at an insane ratio of like 12 kids to every one staff. And so it's unfair to make Philadelphia children, you know, live in that conditions just because the state says that, you know, it has this mandate of a, of a ratio. You know, the state has also said that it's seeing more children come through the system than ever before and that juvenile judges are sentencing them to longer sentences than they have traditionally seen. So again, it's very complicated. It requires a lot of coordination from a lot of different agencies. Um, and I think it requires the city and the state to, you know, kind of stop finger pointing at one another and, and come up with a solution because ultimately, as advocates say, it's children that are bearing the brunt of this harm. Are there people like advocating for an alternative to this? I mean, advocates are kind of at their wits end and just like, well, this is the way things have been for, I don't know, two years now. These are the conditions that kids have in there have been dealing with. Uh, and if, and if, you know, kids making weapons and sleeping on floors and rooms where the lights are on all day isn't, you know, getting the city or the state to take action. They don't really know what will. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Shifting gears, this week the city's Office of Arts, Culture, and Creative Economy revealed the winning design of the permanent Harriet Tubman statue. And Tubman was an abolitionist and former enslaved woman who helped others get to freedom. Now, this all comes after the city was criticized for not having an open process to contract an artist to design the city's first monument, first statue of a historical Black woman. Conrad, can you kind of tell us a little bit of the backstory? Yeah, you mentioned that how this all started to begin with, which was... It was even deeper than just they hired a white artist. It was that for projects like this that are effectively funded by the city through the creative, um, whatever that <laughs> department yeah, is called. Arts, culture, creative economy. <laughs> yeah, with projects like this that are effectively funded by the city, there's almost always or like always an open call. Um, it's just how projects like this are run. So I think the city understood that when we are looking at building equity especially in the arts here in Philadelphia, it's really easy to look around at our sculptures and our monuments and see the lack of representation there when it comes to the fact that we're, you know, a majority non-white city, but almost all of our monuments are of white men, particularly, and to address that problem. But I think the mistake that they made was there was this temporary public art project that came through Philadelphia and a number of other cities by an artist who, yes, was white, and it was a, a temporary sculpture of Harriet Tubman. And when it came here, the city saw how much people loved it, and they just took the easy route instead of doing the right thing, which is to have an open process, open it up to artists, and hire an artist based off of that open process, which is what they ultimately did, and then doing you know 
another great step, which is prioritizing a black artist, because that's another sort of thing when we're talking about equity, like who are the artists getting these dollar amounts, getting these projects, getting this recognition. So over the last year, they looked at five candidates who made the final round and then picked, yeah, Alvin Pettit. And the final design was released this week. Conrad, do you like the new design? Yeah, I really like the new design. And it's pretty different than the temporary one that came through. This one will be called A Higher Power, The Call for a Freedom Fighter. And it's a a pretty monumental, uh, like defiant looking monument. So I actually have a quote from the artist that I would love to read. Um, Alvin said, this woman was a soldier, a scout, a union spy, a military strategist, and a war hero. And he said, therefore, I captured a moment in time that shows her as a conqueror. You know, it's uh, Harriet standing defiant. She has a rifle at her back. Again, she was a soldier. It's a very different image than what the temporary Harriet Tubman monument came through looking like. But it's very much in line with what some of the other monuments around City Hall look like. And I think it's really, really good. Conrad, you talk about public art in the city. Why is having this permanent statue of Tubman significant to Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, the art in our public space is really important. And we are a city with so much history. I mean, that's part of what we're known for. Um, but when you look at the, particularly the the monuments in our public space, they don't truly represent all of our history. Most, the vast majority of the monuments in our public space uh, depict uh, white men. Um, Octavius Caddo was the first monument on public land to a Black historical figure. There are some monuments on private land in Philadelphia, on private property that depict historical figures who are Black. But yeah, the importance of Harriet Tubman, I mean, she's an important figure, an important person to all of American history. So when you have a city where she spent an enormous amount of time here, uh, she's her history to the city is so clear and connected, but also just her history to the country is so important. It's important to have her and her history represented in our public space. And right now, when you're walking around our public spaces and you're looking at the monuments, you're only seeing one side of that history. Got it. So we talked about who is depicted, who gets to create this art. What about location? Does location also play a role in this? Because this is at City Hall. I think its location is deeply important. And yeah, again, it's something the city has been recognizing over the last few years. You you can't change the city's landscape overnight, but they're making some steps towards it with the Tubman Monument, Octavius Caddo, and a few more that are on its way. Um, there's going to be one to Marion Anderson on South Broad Street uh, that's coming up as well. Awesome. This is all interesting. And the Tubman statue is expected to be completed in 2025. So really looking forward to that. And before we head out into the weekend, there was another story that caught my eye this week. Two ice cream shops in the city are closing. According to Philly Voice, Weckerly's Ice Cream in Fishtown will close December 23rd. And Little Pop Shop, which has a store in West Philly, they're going to be closing December 2nd. So you still have about like a month left to grab some goods. Have you all ever tried any treats from these places? Oh, Weckerly's, of course. Yes. You know, Weckerly's in Fishtown is really cool, too, because they hired one of my, you know, I would say every artist is my favorite, but one of my favorite artists in the city, Marion Bailey, who did a mural. I love local business and I love a local ice cream business that also hired a local artist to create a mural in their in their shop. Everyone should do that, right? 
Yeah, they in should. the city of murals. <laughs> now, I was introduced to Weckerly's. This is like before the pandemic, but I just remember they had those thick cut ice cream sandwiches and all of the flavor combinations that they come up with. Now, I remember I went to an art exhibit down at the Navy Yard with you and there was little pop shop popsicles. And I think there was like a coffee flavor. I was like, oh, my God. I had a couple. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's easy. Ellie, what about you? I think Weckerly's was the first Philly ice cream I was introduced to when I moved here about five years ago. So it does hold a special place in my heart. But I live in South Philadelphia, so I don't go up to Fishtown all that often. Um, and I'm definitely more of a of a salty treat person than than ice cream. I'd rather get some French fries late at night uh, than an ice cream cone. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you. Well, what are some spots down in South Philly that we could go to get some ice cream? I actually think I would prefer water ice ice cream if I'm in the mood for you know something cold. Um, okay. In the Snyderverse, in the Snyderverse, there's a little place called Chuck's on uh, on Snyder Avenue. And yes. they have cookies and ice and water ice. And uh, that's that's my spot. When I'm walking to the BSL, I'll, I'll stop by Chuck's. I love Chuck's. There's a spot on Gerard Avenue. It's called Marley's Sweet Tooth. And when you walk in the walls, the you talk about art, the walls are so bright. And um, you can get crazy toppings. I love a place where you can get like colorful like uh, pebbles and like cinnamon toast crunch and like Kit Kats um, and mix it in my ice cream. So that's what I love. And I love getting popsicles. Um, Now this this company doesn't have like a storefront, but Whimsical by my friend Salim. He has amazing like fruit flavored popsicles. And if you're going to like an event in Philly, he might be doing a pop up. And he's usually there giving out popsicles. So uh, it is the fall. But hey, you could get ice cream anytime. <laughs> I feel like I don't know if this is like uh, a true thing or not, but I feel like they said ice cream sales go up in the winter. I feel like that's true. I eat ice cream that's true all the time. because you're at home and you're sitting on the couch watching a movie and, right. you know, I need something. <laughs> Honestly, that's a really good point. Like, I don't want to eat like all that milk and dairy, like in the hot summer when I'm in shorts and like a shirt that I'm sweating through. Like, hey, that's why we have water ice. Like Ellie was saying, we have water ice <laughs> yeah. for, the, <laughs> for the hot days. Exactly. Or mojitos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Margarita. <laughs> all right. That was Conrad Benner, founder of Local Arts Blog Streets Department and host of a new podcast on WHYY, Art Outside, and Ellie Rushing criminal justice and law enforcement reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you both so much for joining me on CityCast Philly. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Trinae. It's always a pleasure. It's time for the tip of the week, where we share a life hack for living in Philly. Over 90 parks in the city are hosting a volunteer cleanup during Love Your Park Fall Weekend. This is all happening November 10th through November 12th. You can find more information in our show notes. If you have a tip of the week, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215-259-8170. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our lead producer is Laura Benchall. Our producers are Abby Fritz and Elizabeth Kama. Our Hey Philly newsletter editors are Joel Wolfram and Adrian Gonzalez. Our host is me, Trinae Nuri. 
Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed this week of episodes, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, y'all. It's first Friday. (laughs) Be safe. Bye. Bye.